Hello everyone, welcome back to Uni Life with Canvas Nottingham. This is Miles in Posty, and today we will be talking to a good friend of mine I have known for the past few years, Gary Bruce. Gary was my counselor here in Nottingham, and going to counseling was one of the best decisions I've made in my life. It was an important first step I took in becoming a healthier, more whole person. Neither Gary nor I have arrived at our final destinations, but in this episode, Gary shares some insights in how we can bravely step into choices that will change our lives. Um, so before we get started, I would just like Gary to introduce himself, uh, tell us a bit about him and his experiences and how he got to living in Nottingham. Cool. Uh, well, thank you for having me. Um, as Mar says, my name is Gary Bruce and I... I'm a psychotherapist here in Nottingham. I have been running a small practice for around five years now. I studied in the States at Cairn University. Um, I did my master's in counseling there, which was just, you know, it, it was it was a literally a life-changing experience for me. If, if my, my life was headed in one direction um, when, and I started the program, it completely, 180 by the end of it um you know wh whether whether you're going into counseling psychotherapy or not that program for me um was something that every single person in the world would benefit from you know it was um it was something where you were you were forced into um introspection you were forced into reflection and um it it helped me view myself and and my relationships in in a brand new way and and it made me really really believe in the counseling process so i graduated in 2015 and came back to the uk and ended up marrying the love of my life which is another story altogether um but we lived in london for four years and um i worked in pastoral care, in churches, in schools, um, alongside my private practice. And so, yeah, since 2015, um, I've kind of been in a caring role um, pretty much the whole time. And um, yeah, it's, I've worked with, with lots of people with different kinds of um, situations going on in their lives. And um, it, it truly is the greatest privilege of my life. Wow. Thanks for sharing. I have a quick follow-up question to that. Um, you said like the level of introspection in your um, like classes. What's something that surprised you in maybe one of your classes or blindsided you maybe personally or just like generally about people that you didn't expect going into that? Um, well, so let me give you a tiny bit of context there. So on the program that I did, we um, we were literally graded, but upon how um, reflective we were, we wouldn't progress until the next module, unless we showed an ability to reflect, to ask questions of self, to dig into our emotions, to um, to sit in uncomfortable places. So. Each week we would do a four hour lab, um, which is essentially group therapy with a bunch of training therapists. Um, and we were told to pursue one another and we were 
told to uh, dig into each other's pain and allow people to ask probing questions. Um, and then we had to write a reflection paper on it that we were graded upon. So it was impossible to escape um, introspection and reflection. And, and I think that's exactly how they wanted it to be. Um, 80 people started the program. And um, I think, you know, less than half of that actually graduated because it's, it, you know, it is a difficult thing to, to continuously look within. Um, but as a result of that, like I, something I often say to people is that, you, you know, you don't know people. You can be sat in a room full of people and it's the most human thing in the world, isn't it? To, to kind of make prejudgments, to look around, see what people are wearing, see, um, the way they speak, you know, potentially who they spend time with, the things that they own, and automatically we um, we make a judgment. And what I've learned from those situations is you just don't know people. You, you cannot tell people stories from just simply looking at them. Wow. I feel like it's just like this never-ending process of like, de-learning things that you've like just learned over time and then it's just like oh here's step one step two and it's starting to say yes to that process over and over and over again absolutely and, and if you think about it you know the environments that we are raised in we, we take a good couple of decades learning absolutely everything we know from the people around us so if 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 lies or negative thought patterns or just you know um destructive ways of behaving have been modeled to a person uh, over and over again for potentially two decades it's not going to change overnight it's almost like a a stream that we inevitably inevitably slip back into unless we are um doing extensive and continual work wow i mean so much good stuff here. And uh, I mean, we could take this podcast a million directions, but at the end of the day, we're here for uni students. So I have some more like specific questions in regards to uni students, especially during this coronavirus time where there's a lot of unprecedented challenges. And what are some of the challenges people are facing with COVID that you've seen in the past year or just from your experiences um, just have highlighted and what are some of the mental health challenges in particular um, that you might expect to pop up as we start to enter in the second wave, as, like new restrictions are coming um, to Nottingham and who knows what life will maybe look like in six weeks? Mm -hmm. Well, I've, I've had, a, I would say like a, a really unique um, perspective throughout this because obviously I have my own ex experiences um, my private practice has continued, so I've had existing clients um, share their experiences. I've had new clients come in, and, and I've also uh, seen family and friends in their own experiences. So um, I, I, I've seen the things that people are, are sharing in common. Um, a big thing is isolation. I don't think we, we really understand how impactful isolation can be until we're isolated um, I think we can know the theory behind it but until someone especially people living on their own that I would say is that is the group of people who I've seen 
um, most affected by COVID um, is the people living alone. There's, there's something, I'm not sure if you, you, you would have heard of it, but um, there's something called touch deprivation. Um, and essentially we are wired to, to touch and be touched. Um, when we find ourselves in stressful situations, you know, cortisol is pumped into our system and, and that's where the, the, the stress hormone, they call it. Um, and oxytocin is like a, it's a, it's a positive, it's a happy chemical that gets pumped into our system to counteract the cortisol. And, and one of the ways that that is uh, excreted into our, into our bodies is through touch, through, you know, as simple as someone putting their hand on your back or a hug or a kiss or a handshake at the office. Um, I don't think we really realized um, how essential touch and being around people is until it is completely taken away from us. So when we went into national lockdown and there were people who, you know, literally went for months and months without touching another human being, um, we started to see some really um, rapid decline in people's mental health because, um, as I say, that is something that is just a necessary human thing. Yeah, like we're normalizing all these day-to-day -day things that we take for granted a lot of times and then we lose them and then it's hard to put into words like the experience. Um, so a lot of, you've been sharing a lot about single people or living by themselves and their, um, struggles with lack of relations. How about in particular uni students? Like, I know you might not be regularly meeting with uni students day in and day out with some of your profession, but, um, what are some of the challenges, um, of uni students that you expect or that you know of? Mm. Um, well, I think students are a, you know, they're, they're in a very unique time of life, you know, especially students who are going away for the first time. You might be 18, 19, 20 years old, depending on how old you are when you begin. But it's the first time away from home. You have this, this sense of freedom and um, this sense of autonomy, potentially for the first time in your life. And with that, you know, outside of a pandemic, um, there are a million pressures that, you know, you, you speak to any student, you, you, if they're honest, um, they probably would be able to tell you of all the different pressures of just socially, will I fit in? Will I make friends? Um, where am I going to live? Is it going to be um, close enough to the people who I um I'm on my course with am I have I brought any struggles or baggage with me into university life that's going to kind of carry over from home how connected have I got how much support have I got um, all those kind of pressures um, face students in general and I think a situation like this global pandemic the epidemic that we're facing in the UK only highlights all of those issues if 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 people are seeking to, to fit in and um, whether they're aware of it or not, be pressured into being and, and living a certain way, when you find yourself in a, a pandemic, 
it's it's not that new issues necessarily arise i don't think but issues that were there before tend to come to the surface um it, especially for students who are isolating alone um or in in smaller groups there's only so much time you can spend with one another before you need to retreat and have time on your own and there's only so much time you can spend alone before you you start thinking more and more and more and that's why i say issues don't necessarily occur on their own outside of a vacuum um, but but issues that were potentially already there start coming to the surface and people start seeing um, maybe things that they haven't dealt with yet, things that they might struggle with historically, um, because the numbing behaviors that we we often do, and you know, they don't necessarily have to be destructive, but but numbing behaviors um, keep us from feeling the emotions that we're really feeling and being able to express them, um, whether that be you know, YouTube or Netflix or drinking or drugs or relationships or working out or work. When you find yourself um, overloaded by all of those things, you can get burnt out on even the things that um, you have come to rely on. And when that happens, then we find ourselves in a very scary situation. From what I'm hearing, it seems like um, there's a lot of difficulties because there's a lot of emotions that can be brewing up with students and a lot of people are feeling things that they don't exactly know what to do when they're in a new environment where some of their support systems might be away. Um, how, how do you find this balance of like feeling what's going on and not like numbing it all away? while still feeling a little bit isolated? Like, how do you try to do that healthily? Hmm. I think that's a good question. Um, feeling our emotions um, is something that is incredibly healthy. Um, and it's not a luxury that everyone has been afforded. We have to be taught how to express our emotions. We have to be um, shown how to feel anger in a healthy, positive way, to feel fear um, or sadness, loneliness, and not and not have to numb it, not have to partake in um, destructive behaviours at the same time. Um, so I, I would say that everyone is in need of um, support there's there's not anyone i know um who who isn't in need of support you know the, the healthiest people in the world are the people who can express their emotions readily understand what they're feeling name it um have a healthy outlet and the people who who talk um and relate to other people and i would say that staying connected to those people in your support networks, building those support networks, because especially at university, the people around you are going to be experiencing exactly the same things as you are. Uh, so it's this lie that I think keeps us even more isolated than we need to be is that the people around me won't understand. The people around me aren't experiencing the same things. I will, um, 
I will be rejected. I will be pushed away if I, you know, if, if I let on that I'm struggling with anxiety or if I'm feeling really low, you know, depression might be creeping in. Um, I, I, I think one of the ways to, to maintain health in those is, is to, to begin to find people that we can be transparent and honest with. And in doing so, um, we can we can build support and it's something that everyone needs. What I hear you're saying is like you just really want to normalize like the experiences people are going through that like you're not the only person who's experiencing sadness or frustration or anger or anything that's going on right now. Um, can you talk about how like to normalize this? Like, is it being vulnerable with like the housemate or like what, what how do you normalize some of these feelings? Yeah, that it is tough. We, we, we live in a culture um, here in the UK of, you know, keep calm and carry on, right? We, we are the Brits, we have a stiff upper lip. And, you know, if, if you talk to someone that you ask them how they're doing, number one answer, oh yeah, fine, how are you doing? Yeah, fine. And, and we expect to, to hear that everyone's fine, everyone's doing okay. And it's kind of become this, um, this response that we say, um, you know, I catch myself doing it sometimes. No matter how I'm doing, you know, I could be really angry, really sad. I could be in a state of real fear and, and, and worrying about something. And someone asks me how I'm doing, and I say, not bad. Straight away, my, my first, oh, yeah, not bad. How about you? Um, I think the only way that we're going to normalize some of this stuff and, and, and learn to support one another is, is by taking a risk and being transparent with the people around us. Um, generally, we will have a radar within us um, of the people who are safer than others to share things with. Um, and being able to find someone who you just have, you know, just in your gut, you have a sense that if I share something with this person, they're not going to completely um, take advantage of that situation. Someone who you, you know, whether it's someone from home, someone you know, um, someone who, you know, a, a charity, someone who works on staff, something like that. Just being able to share that you're not doing too great. Um, we have to begin speaking, otherwise, um, yeah, it's never going to change. Something that, you know, I, I often hear people say is that they're internal processes. Um, and, you know, to some extent that's true, but something I always say is, is that everyone's an external processor when they feel safe. And the reason we don't process externally is because there's fear that um, things we think or say or feel will be misinterpreted, which is why we want to do it on our own. But when we feel safe, when there is a, a safe environment, um, it's a lot easier to, to process the things going on. And may, maybe as a, as a little, you know, to, to anyone listening now who's either struggling themselves um, or, or may, might have an indication that someone they know or, or spend time with is struggling. Um, if it's the latter, then maybe reach out and just start asking people how they're doing. Um, 
again, we, we have this culture of not wanting to stand on anyone's toes or offend anyone. But a way to break down those barriers is to, to just be honest and, and to maybe ask ourselves a question. If I was in that position, if I was feeling incredibly low or incredibly anxious, what would I need from the people around me? And if we can ask, ask those questions and answer them truthfully, then potentially we'll be able to, to, to take steps towards that um, healthy balance. That's great. Like the power of vulnerability and just like sharing in and like, as you said, finding those safe people. And it's like, I think that's like something you said about just like that internal radar. Like you sort of can trust that gut about like, hey, I can be more transparent with this person. Not every person in my life do I have to be 100% transparent with. Um, almost to flip the script though, like I think the importance of vulnerability and allowing yourself to be known is important, but almost when maybe somebody is transparent with us, um, and we are like really not getting, oh, everything's fine, but like seeing a person for their true colors and they've let some of those guards down. Do you have like any advice for like students in those kind of situations? Hmm. Um, Okay, yeah. Um, if someone starts confiding in you, um, if someone starts to open up and share how they're doing, um, a, a typical thing that we do is we we try and find solutions very very quickly. You know, we just we just fire off suggestions. Oh, you should do this. You should do this. You should do that. And one of the things I've found in my work and just in my own relationships is that people really aren't trying to be fixed. Um, people just want to be heard. Um, they, they want to be known, they want to be seen. And there's something transformative in being seen and accepted. Um, there's, you know, if, if someone's saying that they're incredibly low, that depression has crept in and, and has taken a hold, um, to, to offer a listening ear to to, to to not necessarily have to take over and, and fix everything, but just to be there, to, to sit with someone, to, to offer a hug, um, to, to just spend time with someone who's feeling low without needing them to do more. Because often people who are struggling with their mental health, um, they, they use so much of their energy trying to... Um, trying to be who other people want them to be or, or who they think people want them to be. So it takes great vulnerability to, um, to be honest and share something, but it also takes a level of emotional intelligence, a level of, um, of vulnerability in oneself to, to even allow people to share without needing to, you know, to, to fix and to, um, to jump back with solutions. Almost being that person you want other per people to be for, for you and sort of like modeling it in that way. Absolutely. Um, so we want to create those safe communities where people can be transparent and vulnerable and really share about how they are truly doing. Um, at the same time, like there are certain situations that people need professional help. Like wh when do you think, when is a line for you that you're like, that's great. And I'm so glad that you've shared that to me. And I also, I think you need some professional help. 
Um, do you have any guidance for students in those kinds of situations? Um, I, well, first of all, if, if anyone is, is, has gotten to the point where they are having kind of suicidal thoughts, any kind of self-harming behaviors have crept into their thinking. Um, I would say that is absolutely a place to, um, to reach out and talk to someone. Um, there are some amazing helplines, the Samaritans, Mind, um, just being able to reach out and talk to someone um, in those moments is essential. You know, that literally saves people's lives when people are struggling um, to the extent where they're, they're thinking about suicide, then absolutely, there's no question there that we need to signpost people and, and support people in their um, in their getting that help. Um, outside of that, I, I I don't think I've ever met a person. Um, you know, it's not even that. It's not that I don't think I've never met a person. Let me say it like that. I've never met a person that wouldn't benefit from counselling. Um, there are some people who I encounter who definitely need some counselling if they if they want to live healthy lives. If they want to maintain healthy relationships, they want to grow. Um, but I've never met a single person who wouldn't benefit from the process. So there is never a bad time to to seek professional help. Um, there's there's never a bad time to to engage with psychotherapy or counselling because it's 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 something that everyone will benefit from it's something that will teach us the things that perhaps we've missed out on growing up um, or it will teach us ways to to deal with and to to learn our stories that can be so destructive sometimes um yeah so i, I hope that answers that question i i i think there are definitive times when our safety is um at risk that, that there are you need to reach out and we need to help people to, to find those places of support with professionals um but as well as that everyone would benefit from this process yeah i mean i can speak from my own behalf uh gary was my own counselor uh i had like seven sessions with him and it was like the first step in the process like uh, like it was not the ending, but he provided some tools for me to sort of see some of those stories and like provide, like I really taught, started to learn how to be vulnerable and like safe and really feel my emotions and how important that was. Um, could you just talk a bit more about the counseling experience? Like, um, like you've gone to counseling yourself to become a counselor. You've seen a lot of clients. Um, you, you've had a lot of experience in the arena. But for somebody who might be eighteen or nineteen and who's like, "Oh, maybe I should start looking into this," like, what would something look like to go to counseling? Um, well, so I've been through my own counseling process too. So essentially, the thing that kind of kickstarted my my journey into where I am now is that I had a really messy breakup. Um, my my world just was just kind of coming down from all around me. And, and so I, I knew I needed to, to speak to someone. Um, and, and I actually went into a process of counseling. I was in therapy for two and a half years 
And near enough every week for two and a half years, I went to counseling with a wonderful, wonderful woman called Peggy. Um, and she provided a safe place for me to um, cry so many tears and to to be frustrated, to get angry, to disagree with her. She, she allowed me to explore things within my current life and within my um, past life and you know through all throughout my childhood um, and she, she allowed me a safe place to just be who I was and I think one of the most incredible things about counselling experience um, if if done if done well if, if it's really invested in is that as much as is humanly possible you don't have to hide anything I think it costs us so much to hide. I think our our daily lives and the energy that we have to expend to just sometimes just get through the day, get through the week, we waste so much energy pretending to people, pretending that we're okay, pretending um, that we're in a place that we're not. And the counseling room, the, the, the counseling relationship offers you a space where you're allowed to stop hiding and it can be a slow process um often people come and they say i want x amount of sessions i want to get fixed i don't want to deal with this anymore but one of the things my course taught me um was that it's it's not really about being fixed it's about learning what our issues are it's about learning potentially where they came from and how we exist with them how do we how do we live healthy lives um, with the issues that we have yeah man that's great i mean yeah it's not like oh i take this pill and everything is better instantly it's a process sort of thing of learning to love yourself and love who you are. Um, something you just really said that stuck out with me, I want to reiterate it from earlier, is that like we a lot of times think we're internal processors, a lot of us, but everybody's an external processor when they feel safe. Um, and like a counselor is a great place for that safety. And I even found myself like in session two being like, why do I want to edit myself? Like, um, in a safe place. Like this is a person I am like here and I can talk to and just supposed to be like completely vulnerable. And I found myself wanting to edit to like my counselor, like sort of thing. Um, and how do you like, how do you just battle that? Like, how can you like, when we, I, I know finding a safe environment is extremely important. You, you don't feel safe. You're not going to be vulnerable and transparent. But on top of that, how do you like fight those urges to like want to edit yourself into the expectations of what other people want you to be? I think that the, the first thing that we need to make peace with is it's going to happen. Um, it's human nature. We, we want to be seen in a certain light. We want to be viewed um, in, a, in a positive way. And one of the biggest tools I think to combat it though is to accept that it's going to happen and to acknowledge when it has happened um, 
either if, if you can do it before a session and you can say i know i'm going to be prone to this and and, and even express that one of the, the one of the, the, the simplest ways is that those things that you that you think and that you're wondering how to say just being able to say that i don't know how to say this or i am holding things back and i don't know why saying those things will open up um avenues that you, you may never have gone down before and one of the things i ask my clients to do is to journal as soon as they finish as soon as they can they have time is to, to journal what was the session like what did i say what did i not say what did i maybe filter um what was i feeling what what did i get annoyed at and and it's that processing that if you can learn to do that and then learn to bring that to the counseling room um your progress is going to be so much faster um when we're in those safe environments even though we know that they're safe intellectually experiencing that is is something very different and and it's a collaboration counseling isn't somewhere you go where your therapist fixes you or, or you know helps you it's not like going to the doctor where they give you a tablet and off you go um it's a it's a relationship and and it's a it's a collaboration you walk together you work together in order to um to grow and become healthy because essentially it's relationships that that bring life to people and and the counseling relationship is uh, hopefully a surefire way to provide a space uh, with um, with safety and love and um, a place where you can yeah not feel as much need to hide but inevitably it will take time um just uh, one final question before we get into our um, ending questions is do you have any final thoughts and also like how like joy and laughter that's like an important part of the thing now like we've been talking about some heavier things about vulnerability and feeling the difficult emotions but like but part of life is laughing and just smiling and having a good time and not just that's a part of the human experience as well like just think about that. i yeah, when people are in, in, in a difficult place in life, it's very easy to focus on the negative. Um, and, you know, I was speaking to someone just the other day and, and they were saying that all that they could do was imagine negative things happening. All they could do was, you know, see a situation, maybe if it's, it's even something that they've historically done and enjoyed, um, but they couldn't imagine enjoying it. They couldn't imagine... Um, a situation where they were going to have fun or laugh um but my challenge to that is that the human imagination is um is something that we have power over we have control over and there are wonderful tools out there to be able to um you know even in the christian tradition um meditation isn't kind of emptying your mind which is often a, a common misconception but it's it's filling your mind it's, it's focusing your mind on something um positive some, something good something true and and it's the same with 
our, our imaginations. If you know, you can close your eyes, you can picture yourself um, as a child, you can picture yourself now as you are, um, or in the future with with people who love you surrounding you you know with the warm sun beating down on your skin and our brains interestingly don't know how to differentiate between real memories and imagined memories if the the imagination is vivid enough so real powerful i don't know if you've ever been in a situation where you know you, you you've maybe had a dream or you, you you have a thought and your brain just takes you there um I was driving the other day and I, I had a moment and I don't know what came over me, but I just pictured my daughter um, dying. And within 10 or 15 seconds, I was at the funeral. I was uh, on my phone looking at pictures and videos and, and mourning the fact that I hadn't taken more. And, and it was vivid. It was real, visceral, like fear and sadness crept up within me. And I had to snap myself out of it. And that took 15 seconds to get to that point of, of you know, real pain and, and, and fear within me mourning. Um, so that, that's just a little glimpse into how powerful the mind is. So if we can focus on things that bring us joy, if we can focus on things that have historically um, really put a smile on our face and spend time with the people who really bring us life, um, I think that can be a way that we can take steps towards that. Thank you so much for that. And um, thank you for your time today. And so I just have a few questions uh, to end us with, um, a few rapid fire questions. Um, the first is community is blank. Community is um, local and it is consistent. Um, I, I heard, I, I'm absolutely stealing this, so please don't um, give, give me the credit for this. Community is local and it is consistent. It's the people that we see daily or nearly daily. It's the people that we, we you know, you, you might be in a terrible situation. You might be sad. Something might have happened. You might have just found some news. And community is, is the people that you're going to see within the next 30 minutes that you can't hide from. Connection is beautiful and it's powerful, um, but community is something that we all need. It's, it's the people that we live our lives with, and it's actually the people we live in community with who, who often see the real us. Number two, favorite takeaway? Oh, uh, Shares Cause, Jamaican on Lower Parliament Street on Blue. Ooh. Six pound box, change your life. Yeah, that's, oh, that sounds great. Um, three, uh, what are you binging currently? It could be a TV show um, or any kind of podcast, whatever. Um, I am binging, um, this is maybe a little bit sad. I'm binging Tim Keller sermons. Um, he has like a back catalog of like, um, you know, 5,000 sermons over the years. And so when I work out in the morning, I always listen to Tim Keller. Sounds good. We all each have different tastes. <laughs> uh, for what are you grateful in the midst of COVID? Um, 
I'm I'm grateful for um, my family. Um, I, you know, my family hasn't escaped um, some of the, the the sadness and the isolation that people have been experiencing, and so the opportunity that that often brings is opportunity to to connect maybe in a more meaningful way and that's something that I've I've experienced over the last six months or so with members of my family who've been really struggling who historically we wouldn't have connected in that kind of way it's actually a horrible situation like this and and really difficult um personal circumstances that has has caused us to grow a lot lot closer um, so I'm really thankful for that. And a little bit of laughter to finish us off. It's a would you rather question. So would you rather know the history of every, every object you touched or be able to talk to animals? Oh, be able to talk to animals. <laughs> Easy one for you. Absolutely. Thank you for joining us for this week's Uni Life with Canvas Nottingham. If you are new to the podcast, be sure to follow us for new episodes and for more information on Canvas Nottingham, please check out our Facebook and Instagram pages. We will talk to you next week. Thanks.